Thank you, team, for uh, leading us this morning. We so appreciate it. We appreciate uh, you being here as well. Imagine for a second that tomorrow morning you're sitting at your desk at work and all of a sudden Jesus comes into the entranceway of your office. And he's standing there and all of a sudden some of your employees start to gather around him and they're talking. And Jesus is speaking and they're listening to him when all of a sudden he points at you. And all of your coworkers turn and they stare at you. Then Jesus starts speaking again and he's telling them something very emphatically and they're listening. And then he turns again and he reaches and he points at you. And everybody else turns and they start staring at you. And you're asking yourself this question, what is he telling them about me? What would your first thoughts be? Maybe you'd think, well, you know, I kind of confessed all my sins to Jesus just this morning and maybe he's telling them what I told. Uh, Maybe you're thinking Jesus is saying, you should see how little this guy prays or how little she reads her Bible. Maybe you're thinking that he's saying, you know, you should see this guy lost his temper with his kids just this morning at breakfast. What would you think Jesus would be saying about you to these people if he pointed you out? Well, what if this? What if Jesus was pointing you out as an example for other people to follow? In fact, what if Jesus was pointing you out and saying, this person has the most amazing faith of anybody else in our city? Some of you would think that can't be possible because here's the reality for all of us. We have this vision in our minds about what true faith looks like and we compare ourselves to other people, don't we? And you're thinking right now, that's highly unlikely that anybody would ever look at me and point me out as an example of what faith looks like. I mean, after all, God doesn't point out people who are divorced or people who have a porn addiction or people who have got mental health struggles or people who are new to the faith or just seem to have ongoing circumstances in their life. Jesus would never point somebody else out like that and say that they have great faith you would feel that you are unlikely. And I've been thinking about this word, unlikely, and we're going to be talking about it over these next number of weeks as we make our way towards Easter. Unlikely means dubious. It means that you're uh, unpromising, that you hold very little promise for success. And one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor as I meet with people is that so many people see themselves as an unlikely candidate to have great faith, or to have strong faith, or to live out the life that Jesus has called us to live. We have a great example of unlikely most recently from the sports world. Remember when you could watch the NHL in the evenings? Well, there was a goalie by the name of David Ayers who made his world debut. It was a game between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in the game, the Carolina goalies both got injured, their main goalie and their backup goalie. Neither could play for the rest of the night. So they had to resort to what's called the emergency backup goalie. It was actually a guy from Toronto. He was 42 years old. He'd had a kidney replacement. And on occasion, he also was the Zamboni driver. And he gets called in to be the goalie for the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, the first three shots, he lets two goals in. But after, between the second and third periods, he kind of calms down, gets his wits about him. His team rallies, and Carolina goes on to beat Toronto that night in the game. And David Ayers becomes an unlikely hero and kind of had world fame uh, for a few weeks. It's, it's a great story. 
Well, the stories that we're gonna look at in this series are kind of like that. They're the stories of people that everybody else would look, like, look at and say, this person is unlikely. It's unlikely that anybody would notice the faith that they have or the way that they live, but the truth is there are stories where Jesus points people out and says, this person gets it. This person is living the way that I would want them to live, and we're gonna look at these stories together. This morning, if you, want to, if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter seven. Um, you can look it up on your phone as well. We're gonna start reading at verse one, Luke chapter seven, but let me just make a few comments here about this passage just before we begin. This passage takes place uh, shortly after Jesus has just taught his sermon on the mount. And he's just kind of had that teaching and he's returning home to the community of Capernaum. You can see it there on the map. Capernaum was a town of about 1,500 people. It's actually where Jesus was living at this time in his life. It's the area where Matthew, the tax collector, was living also. It's where Jesus met him. Uh, it had a Roman outpost here. Uh, the Roman uh, government was ruling over this area. And there was a centurion man who his, he was in place. And his job was to keep the peace to sort things out, to solve all the problems. He had a hundred people at his disposal who did all of his bidding. And his job was to make sure that these Jewish people did not rise up. He's the Roman centurion. Let's read this together. Luke chapter seven, verses one to 10. When Jesus had finished saying all of this, that would be the Sermon on the Mount, in hearing the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of, of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. It's interesting in this story that the centurion doesn't go himself. He knows that he's unclean and he also knows that showing up into Jesus' life would make Jesus even more unpopular to some people than he already is. And it's interesting that when these Jewish servants come to Jesus to kind of say to him, you know, the centurion wants to meet with you. He wants you to come heal his servant. They kind of whisper to him, I'm not sure how you make your decision about who you heal and who you don't heal, but this guy gave major cash to our last building campaign and it would be really great if you kind of helped him out. Maybe we could finish phase two if you did. Verse six, so Jesus went with them. Now this is important. This man has heard of Jesus. Maybe he's seen some of his healings. Maybe he's heard some of the stories. Maybe he's met some of the people who were healed by Jesus. And Jesus is willing to go to the centurion. He's willing to go and to make himself unclean, which would have required Jesus having to quarantine himself for a period of time until he could be clean again and avoid contact with other Jewish people. It also would have made Jesus very unpopular. The Romans were the superpower. They were tough on the Jewish people. They were extracting ridiculous taxes. For Jesus to go to the centurion's house, well, it would have caused the same upset that it did when Jesus went to Matthew's house. But he's willing to go. Let's see what happens next, starting at verse six. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself, consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is fascinating that this Roman centurion has been watching Jesus and he understands something so, so important for you and I if we want to be people of faith. And that is this. The centurion understands that Jesus outranks him. That Jesus is more powerful than him. He understands that Jesus, he's not worthy to have Jesus come even under his roof because of the height and, and the respect that he has for Jesus. And so he says to him, don't come. Just say the word. I trust your ability to work in the life of my servant so greatly that just like at the day of creation when you spoke and things came into being, I know that you can speak and bring life to my dying servant. And what does Jesus do? Look at verse nine. This is so important. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. This is an unclean Gentile Roman military officer. Jesus is amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found that the servant had been healed. Now, it's hard for us to understand how shocking these words were. For Jesus' audience, for the Jewish crowd around him to hear that someone as unlikely as this Roman centurion could be called out as not just having amazing faith, but having greater faith than anybody else in Israel. So imagine this for a second. Imagine uh, we could fly Jesus in tonight and um, say, Jesus, we want you to come to St. John and we want you to point out to us the person that's got the greatest faith in the city. So Jesus flies in on on Sunday morning. We're all here waiting and he shows up and he walks up onto the stage here and we welcome him and uh, give him a mug. And and then we say to him, hey, Jesus, we want you now to point out the person in St. John that has the greatest faith. And Jesus walks down off the stage and he walks down the aisle and he goes out through those doors. And so immediately we think to ourselves, oh, that's right. People that have great faith have faith like a child. Maybe he's going over to River Kids, but he doesn't. He turns right and he leaves the building and he gets into his rental car. Well, immediately we all run out to our cars and we start following him thinking, where's he gonna go? Then that thought strikes us. Maybe he's going to another church and we just kind of feel awkward, but he doesn't. He goes uptown, parks on Germain Street, gets out, walks into the city market there's a 24-year-old guy sitting there having coffee with his dog at his feet. And Jesus walks over and in front of everybody turns and points to him and says, nowhere in St. John have I found faith in somebody as great as in this young man. Can you imagine how shocked we would be? This is what's going on in this story. The disciples were shocked. They thought they were the people with the greatest faith. And Jesus was wanting to teach them something and I think he's wanting to teach us something as well. Because I think we have this vision about what perfect faith looks like. And I think we compare ourselves to other people so often. And I think we beat ourselves up and we think that God would never answer my prayers. God would never be at work in my life because my faith is not strong enough. 
I wanna share with you a quote this morning from Andy Stanley. It's a, it's a great quote uh, on faith and it says this, perfect faith is confident that God can and hopeful that he will. Confident that Jesus can and hopeful that he will. You know, when the centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, he was confident that Jesus could. He'd seen it before. And today, maybe you uh, have confidence in Jesus too in what he can do. You believe that he can. You've seen him do maybe things in your life, in the lives of other people. Maybe you've kind of heard stories of things that God can do. Faith is about confidence in the person of Jesus and what he can do. It's not a box that we check on our census. It's not saying I grew up in the church. It's being aware of the person of Jesus Christ and being confident in what he can do in our lives. And then it involves putting our faith in his, our life in his hands and being hopeful that he will do it. You know, here's one of the things that uh, I hear a lot and it breaks my heart as a pastor is that people think their faith isn't great because their prayer hasn't been answered. They think their faith is weak because their prayer hasn't been answered. Look at this story this morning. When did Jesus declare that this man had amazing faith? Before his servant was healed. When Jesus stands up and points this man's faith out to everybody, his servant was still sick, dying at home. His circumstances had not changed. And Jesus praises his faith. He had amazing faith. He had great faith because he'd put his confidence in God. And he was living in the tension that you and I live in who have unanswered prayers, that God, we're confident that you can. We can picture 10 ways in which you can do it. And now we're in that season of hoping that you will. And today, maybe your faith is stronger than you think. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. I wanna show you an image on a screen, on the screen here today, just as we close. I want to share with you the quote uh, from Charles Spurgeon. I love this quote. He says this, Great faith may grow where there is little soil. Great faith may grow where there is little soil. If you've been to the Hopewell Rocks or even just anywhere in a park around the city, chances are you've seen a scene similar to this. Uh, This odd rock formation and on top of these rocks where there's hardly any soil at all, there's this big, strong, robust tree that's growing, just as in the picture. And it's surprising to see with such little soil how trees could grow and flourish. In fact, if we were able to climb up to the top of that rock formation and, and kind of look at the amount of soil there and I was to hold up a, a seed with you and say, hey, do you think if I plant this that it could grow into something great? You would think it was unlikely. And yet faith can grow in the most difficult of circumstances and faith can grow in the most unlikely of places. And you know we're in one of those times right now Uh, It seems like this could be an unlikely time for people to really experience God in a new way or to experience their faith growing or to know God's grace in their life in a powerful way. And yet, Jesus invites us to put our confidence in him. And when we do, our faith, as small as it is, as struggling as it can be, can still be amazing faith that God honors. And that's our hope for you, even in this difficult season, that you would know, even in tough circumstances, you can put your confidence in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, today we thank you so much uh, that we can trust you. 
We thank you so much that we can have amazing faith by believing in you and what you can accomplish, even if things haven't been resolved yet, even if we haven't seen the answers that we've been hoping for. And so today, God, may we just put more of our lives in your hands and see what it is that only you can do. And we pray this in your name.